What's going on everybody? James Bodden here to introduce another value-packed episode of the Sales Development Podcast powered by 10Bound, hosted by David Delaney. And today's guest is an absolute legend in the inside sales and sales development world. David brought on none other than Mr. Ed Porter, current CRO at Blue Chip CRO. He's a leader in AAISP, and this episode kicks off with Ed filling us in on his current company, Blue Chip CRO, and the work that he's doing as a fractional CRO. As the episode gets going at minute 13, Ed talks very specifically about the challenges that he's seen with scaling inside sales teams, the trial, the error, and he gives some really great advice based on his experience. At minute 25, David asks Ed how he unites sales and marketing teams as a fractional CRO. You know, there's that classic battle between sales and marketing. Ed gives some fantastic insight on how to break down those silos. The episode keeps rolling right along at minute 40. Ed and David discuss the importance of truly understanding how to make the most out of the sales development function. One of the things they talk about is role specialization. If you're a fan of the SDR function, you're going to definitely enjoy this part of the conversation. And as the episode wraps up, Ed lets us know how we can connect with him and stay connected because Ed just has so much inside sales and sales development experience. This is a fantastic episode, one that is long overdue with how monumentally important Ed is in this community. So take some notes on this really valuable episode. And if you have feedback, please feel free to leave us a review, hit that like button, subscribe, and head over to 10bound.com. Jump on our newsletter to stay updated on everything sales development. Enjoy episode 175 of the Sales Development Podcast. Hey, everybody. This is David with the Sales Development Podcast over here at 10bound. Very excited to announce 10bound.com. We've got the 10bound sales development conferences coming up this year, obviously doing them virtually in March, June, and August, and then hopefully doing a live in-person event in October in San Francisco. Hopefully that happens. And in the meantime, definitely get over to tenbout.com, sign up. The virtual conferences are free and there'll be packed days with tracks on sales development leadership from some of the top leaders in the sales development world talking about how they're doing sales development today in such a strange environment that we're in and how they're being successful you know year after year we're going to be talking tactical tips we're going to be talking about how to actually do the job in 2021 and we need you there so jump over to tenbound.com t-e-n-b-o-u-n-d.com and register for free for the virtual events and we'll see you coming up here in the spring hello 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 everybody welcome to another edition of the sales development podcast i am very excited about this one this is someone who i've admired from afar for a long time doing amazing things in our industry and I finally got you on the show. Ed Porter is the founder and CEO of Blue Chip CRO, president of the AISP chapter in Columbus, and all around, you know, big proponent of our industry. And so I'm, I'm just excited to get you on the show. How are you doing today, Ed? Yeah, great. Thanks. I I've, I've appreciate being on it. I've been a longtime listener and have binge listened to a lot of your episodes and 
I love a lot of the guests and the content. So happy to be kind of giving back in that regard. Oh man, I'm just wondering why it took so long. This is like, we've been doing this for a few years now and <laughs> we finally connected. So thanks for, for jumping on. And, you know, tell us about your background. It's been varied. You've had a lot of different experiences and now you're running your own company. You know, how did you get to Blue Chip CRO? Yeah, so I've currently, what, what I'm doing now with Blue Chip CRO is filling a gap in the market of A, defining what a chief revenue officer is, what their real responsibilities are, and then deploying that to, to companies. I'm very passionate about hiring the right people at the right time. And I often see a lot of startups hiring a CRO way too early and investing a lot of money on overhead, or they're simply underutilized. So they're inflating a title for somebody that's maybe a, a sales director or even an individual contributor. So I've kind of made it my mission, if you will, to, to help myself understand from different people that are talking about this role, how it's evolving, and then being part of the solution. And what I'm doing now is trying to help startups, generally less than 10 million in revenue, where I feel it doesn't make sense to have a CRO when you're that young in revenue. And it's a position that really needs intent and purpose. And I, I think at times it can help skew negatively a growth by hiring the wrong, using the right, using the resources to hire the position, but hiring it wrong. And that's kind of what I'm wanting to do. And that's where I got to be where I am today. And how that's really transcended over my career is, I always like to tell the story is, I've worked for four different companies, selling four different products and services in four different industries. So on one end, that resume looks pretty awful. But on the other end, it's pretty wide in perspective. And I've been in services, I've been in SaaS, I've been in software CapEx, and manufacturing distribution. So what I like about that is I'm able to kind of look at perspective and bring essentially what diversity is, is bringing in alternate perspectives and how can I learn what a services organization is doing and how can I bring that into a software company or how can I take what tech companies or SaaS companies are doing and bringing it into manufacturing and distribution in a very industrial and archaic industry. So I've been able to hit kind of all of the areas of the revenue model within customer support, customer success, marketing, sales, and operations. I've done a blend of all of those in all of these positions. And I feel like that's kind of given me the perspective to kind of answer a lot of questions with, well, it depends, and then go into what are you trying to do? How are you operating? What's your cost of goods like? How do you deploy an SDR model? And how expensive is that customer acquisition cost? So these are the things that I've really enjoyed learning about over the years, and then ultimately getting me to the point where I think I can help fill this void of defining what this revenue organization is, and then also defining how impactful a true CRO in the right time and the right space can really impact a company for the positive. It's so interesting because a lot of companies, they look at a resume and they go, there's a certain track that you're supposed to follow to then fit into the position. But if you've been in different industries and you've been in different positions throughout the company, that's where you get your ideas on how to cross-pollinate, right? Yeah. And, and that's, you hit on a really 
interesting, relevant, and recent topic that I've kind of been talking about, as well as engaging with other people's posts on LinkedIn about requiring SaaS experience. And I can't, for the life of me, understand why companies require candidates, whether it's an SDR, an AE, a VP of sales, why they require SaaS experience, because SaaS is really just a business model. It's simply taking a revenue model and applying it in a lease type of form. So it's more of a financial model than it is industry. And I've argued and I've debated, but I haven't really succumbed to the fact that SaaS experience is required. And then I'll kind of go a little levels deeper too around industry experience. And I think there's there's certain industries where maybe you need industry experience, you know, insurance, if you need licensing, you know, that I think is relevant. Financial services require some certain licensing. When you get into real complex or, or high tech, you know, if you're selling chemical formulations or something like that, like maybe you need some experience there in the industry. But I'm very passionate about not looking or looking beyond industry experience when hiring people, because that's the only way you'll really get that diversity. And I want outsider feedback. I want people to tell me how to do things, not necessarily just the way I've always done it. And I think that's how you get it is you go seek out from without outside of your industry to try and bring in perspective. So that's that's kind of my two cents on on that experience. It seems like it becomes sort of an echo chamber, you know, because especially here in the in the Silicon Valley tech mm-hmm. bubble, you know, there there's there's a certain promotion path that that they want to see, you know, that you come in through the big tech companies and you work your way up the ranks and then you become that and then you go to a startup and you're supposed to bring all that. But but it's like the best ideas come from your years that you were in the, you know, like chemical industry. And then you bring mm-hmm. in those to the SaaS technology industry because nobody's ever heard of that stuff and they're not doing it, you know? Yeah. And that's where, you know, there's also been some recent debate on, you know, the SDR AE model versus full cycle sales. And when I came from the industrial world and manufacturing distribution, that's basically full, the epitome of full cycle sales. You have a sales rep that is kind of the CEO of their territory. They're the ones getting new business. They're the ones handling customer complaints and issues. They're the ones trying to sell new products or hundreds of thousands of different products that may be in the portfolio. They're, they're doing everything. So they're doing the marketing. They're doing the lead generation. They're doing selling. They're doing customer support and triage. So these are people that are are doing it all in one. And then you look at this SDRAE model and you start going down this path of specialization and trying to optimize certain areas within that full pie of what a sales rep does every day. And then you kind of start, again, thinking about how can you make this process better? And that was one of the things that I learned a lot from from the tech industry when I was work when I was building an inside sales team for a large field sales organization I was really looking at the specialization to say there's a way to optimize these sales reps time if these sales reps are making high amount of commission how can we optimize the amount of time that they're spent selling and I remember research coming out many years ago you've probably are part of this too where you know, 35, 36, 37% of a sales rep's time is actually spent selling. So to me, that's just mind blowing. And 
how do you align their whole comp to, to times where they're only spending a third of their time doing that job? So how do you then take those things and specialize them when you look at SCR and lead generation, when you look at AEs and closing, even going beyond SDR and saying lead scrubbing and lead optimizing and contactless scrubbing, then it goes to an SDR to go reach out to those people. So you've got all these areas where you can specialize and how does that help in the overall optimization, acceleration, and growth. And I think there's a lot of those practices that can be applied in many different industries. I do too. And when you're talking to other industries and you bring up this, do they just sort of look at you funny? I mean, it feels like (laughs) there's general adoption. It's almost kind of jumped the shark, but there's general adoption of the SDR, AE, customer success model in the tech industry. But when you go outside of there, do people set up like, you know, at a chemical industry or something yeah. like that? Do they have this set up or is it just right now in the tech industry? Def by and large in the tech industry. I think some service organizations are starting to implement it. I've seen a lot of marketing agencies or agency operations that are starting to optimize their new customer acquisition process a little bit better using salespeople, using SDR lead generators. So I think it's starting to adopt. But when you look at, you know, an industrial world, and I'm, I'm thinking, I'm talking like big distrib- distributors, Cisco Foods, HD Supply, Granger, Fastenal, these are all industrial suppliers that are selling maintenance items or, you know, hundreds of thousands of different items. The challenge in those companies is cost of goods. So your margins are really thin. And part of that margin is now going to sales reps, which are commissioned. In some cases, they're 100% commissioned. In some cases, they're 50%. In some cases, they're bonus. So when you look at what's the cost of sale, it's not just about customer acquisition cost like it is in the tech space. It's more about overall cost of sale and ongoing effort to to retain sale. If you're buying $50,000 a year from me in products, my margins potentially in some industries could be five grand or seven grand because of the, the, what I'm reselling. So now I have to, those shrinking margins then have to go. Now I'm investing in some lead generation effort or some marketing effort that dwindles that $7,000 down a little bit more. I'm paying a commission to a sales rep, maybe paying part of support with that margin. So it gets to be a little, a little complicated when you're trying to understand what's, what's everything involved into making a sale and continuing to retain sales. So to your point or to your question about, do people just kind of look at you starry-eyed? Initially, when I went out on my own a year and a half ago, I was hell-bent on just tackling industrial organizations that have predominant field sales organizations and thought that was a niche that I could really go into. And the more conversations I had, It was very much starry-eyed, but it was very much interesting conversations. The challenge then became, were they willing to act on it? And I really got nobody to act on it. And maybe that's just because I'm a crappy salesperson, but (laughs) it became very much that they realized that they had to re-engineer everything within their company. And they had to look at costs at a lot broader scale. They had to look at division of responsibility and who does what and at what part in the buyer cycle and the customer satisfaction to try and get them to change 
is is very difficult. And and again, it may be just a small sample size that, of people that I spoke with, but it was it was like indecision paralysis set in, and it was like, oh, this is interesting, and yeah, this makes a lot of sense. But again, getting somebody to take that plunge was very very difficult. Even my own company, when I was at Guest Supply, they're a subsidiary of Cisco Foods. My goal was to build an inside sales team for a field sales organization. There was a lot that they just didn't know, and they didn't they they didn't know what they were up against, and you know they weren't shy about it. They were open about it to say we've got a competitor that's been kicking our butt, and they have grown their company through inside sales. We want to figure it out, and it was a lot of trial and error. It was a lot of you know I didn't have millions of dollars to go invest in hiring people and technology. It was very much organic kind of bootstrap mentality. And it was, it was a lot of, a lot of it couldn't be embraced because it would be biting off a big chunk of money to try and re-engineer such a big operation. Yeah. It's almost like they just say, ah, oh, let's just keep it the way it is. You know? <laughs> right. I, 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 that looks like a lot of work to try to rejigger it. And, and it's yeah. also the other thing I'm thinking is it's why everybody and their brother you know, wants to start a software company, right? Because mm-hmm. once you once you get the software out there and it's starting to work, you know, you've got a lot bigger profit margin that you can go and hire a bunch of SDRs, right? Right. And well, it's almost like that model is there. It's out there. There's playbooks out there. There's plenty of people where I could go into this, spend some time learning and kind of get a recipe to go build a tech company. Right. Now, you got to kind of figure out the product and the product market fit. But beyond that, I mean, yeah, that that information's pretty easily accessible and you can launch a lot easier than you can change. I mean, this, you you see this with Cisco and Oracle and Avaya, you know, they were big CapEx, even kind of services organizations that how do you, how do you transfer your business model from a CapEx purchase to a subscription? And it's, it's a huge detriment to your, to your revenue line when you change that up. All of a sudden, you're getting million, two million dollar deals turn into a couple thousand bucks, five thousand bucks a month. That's it's a pretty significant change. So how do you, yeah, how do you deal with that? And then how do you continue managing cash flow so that you can build your support and enablement departments too? So it's very tough with an existing organization with an existing infrastructure. Yeah, I'm just thinking uh, the Oracle guy must have figured it out because I think he just bought an island or he moved out to his own (laughs) island in in Hawaii. So he figured it out, (laughs) whatever he did. So question (laughs) for you then, now we've got this setup and, you know, we'll focus on like the tech industry, but we've got this setup on the go-to-market team where you've got your SDRs, your AEs, your customer success. And it almost feels like, we're ready for 2.0, you know, of that setup because that was kind of set up 20 years ago. And then at the same time, you're really focused on the CRO role in, in your new company. So when you think about how we go to market and what a CRO does, what's the difference between a CRO and a VP of sales? And then, you know, how do you look at the structure of the whole thing? Yeah. So these are the kind of the two things that I've started to figure out is how do I define this on my website. You know, I, I'm taking from the marketing perspective, I want my website to appeal to buyer pains. So I got to figure out who my buyers are, but there's really two things that I think are largely important that a CRO kind of is charged with. One is alignment. 
And alignment can mean a lot of different things. And it can also be a kind of a fluff word. But when you talk about alignment within departments and revenue organizations, that's where you're looking at this from the full buyer life cycle. You're looking at it from David Delaney at 10 Bound has no idea who my business is. So how do I get him aware of that? And then the second step is how do I start to to, to reel him in. So once he's aware of me, how do I kind of get him in the nurturing process, which is the sales process? And then once he's in the sales process, how do I get him into be onboarding properly? And how do I get him using and his team using this product? And then how do I get him remembering that I'm still providing value to his company and that it is, I am worth the investment. And that's a continual process. So if you think about that from a buyer lifecycle perspective, a VP of sales can only do so much in that role. You know, a VP of marketing can only do so much in that role and the VP of customer success can only do so much. So if, if the three really aren't attached at the hip where a business has one throat to choke, <laughs> if there's a breakdown in that cycle, that's kind of where the CRO is. Now, in many companies, as you're starting, that's that's going to be a founder, that's going to be a CEO that has to kind of employ this CRO type of thinking. And there's a guy I'm connected to on LinkedIn that I just connected with recently, which is, I mean, he's really kind of helped shape this a little bit. And he and I are pretty, see pretty much eye to eye on a lot of these. Quick shout out to Warren Zena. And he kind of says the same thing about, CEOs need to kind of have this thinking, this CRO thinking. They need to be the ones that are managing the finger pointing. So if marketing says sales, you're not converting and sales says you're passing me crap leads and customer success says sales, you're selling this customer on something we don't have. These are all great examples of how you have a misaligned organization. And there's got to be somebody policing that in a very narrow perspective. So That said, that's kind of what I mean by alignment is everyone's kind of got to be shooting from the hip, attached at the hip, singing the same song. And then the the sub bullet under alignment too is everything that that company does has to be aligned to the buyer and figuring out who your buyers are, who their personas are. How do you, are you solving a problem, a singular problem? Are you solving multiple problems? Is the problem your product or service is solving, is that change from a CFO to a CRO to a CHRO to a CIO, these things need to really be spelled out so that your whole sales process, your marketing process, your your onboarding and your retention have to be aligned to who those buyers are. And the more we know about sales today, you have more buyers in the equation. There's more people involved up front. There's more people that are involved post-sales. And those have to be a continuing effort to be able to say, David, you've you've purchased our product or service for a reason, and now I need to make sure that I deliver it over and over and and over again. So when you think about the complexities within alignment, it's twofold, one within the organizations, second within the buyer. So that's kind of the first thing. The second thing is culture. This is, again, another word that if you just do a Google search for how to build a good culture. You're going to find millions of pages of stuff. But what that really means is that's set at the top. That's set at the very top level of how these founders and CEO wants to run their company. A lot of that's founded on communication. 
This is where alignment is part of that, is how do you stop the finger pointing? How do you stop the silos? How do you get everybody working together, trying to solve the same problem, operating from that buyer perspective? And how do you build this culture that resonates throughout the whole organization from the CEO all the way down to the receptionist? And it's a lot easier said than done. And there's, there's a lot of easy ways to talk about where problems exist. It's harder to try and figure out the solutions. But why I think a CRO is pivotal in building that culture is because they're, they're managing that revenue organization. And if that can be instilled there, that CRO becomes a great partner to the CTO or to the IT lead or to the HR leader. And then that culture starts to spread wide. And those are the two areas that I really think empower a CRO to be effective is they need to have ownership over that revenue organization. They need to own the full buyer life cycle, not just sales or not just marketing and not just customer success. They need to own it all. And secondly, that culture that gets, gets instilled in that organization will inevitably carry over to the support teams, to the CTO and to the developers and the engineers and into HR and into IT and finance and all of those other departments, because that's what's being instilled in the full revenue organization. Got it. Yeah. And so if it's a newer company and you can still get the ear of the CEO and and be able to work it all out, you know, and, and start, but what do you do if you come in and in most companies, the sales development's not talking to marketing or is not talking to sales and there's a lot of finger pointing and it's all the stuff that is usually going on when you come in because they've all got different goals, right? They're all working toward different things and they might have a meeting once a week and talk about stuff, but then they just go back about their business. So how do you start doing this if you're, you know, in a company that's already in motion? Yeah. So this is, one of the, so I just recently launched my website and part of that was I wrote, got a couple blog articles up. And the first one that I wrote, which I, I really actually want to start doing a lot more about or more with is to, is to really understand this thing called alignment. And, you know, the whole, most of the article talks about the problems and it's, you know, you're going to see the finger pointing, you're going to see the silos. When these things happen, that's when you recognize you have an alignment problem. So then what's the solution? And I, I kind of over-exaggerated a little bit, but the solution is, is always communication. So it's how do, you, how do you talk to people? How do you involve everybody? I'm a big fan of mastering the Rockefeller habits. And for those that aren't familiar with it, I would highly suggest take a gander at it. There's a lot of stuff online. There's a book about it. But ultimately, it, it really starts to instill a culture of communication where it outlines daily huddles and what are the huddles about, weekly huddles, strategic management meetings. So it gives really a recipe for how do you keep everybody on with, with a pulse on what's going on, but not to the extent where we're killing people's times with meetings that just last forever. I think the biggest thing that you start with is a high level at an executive daily huddle, which is led by the CEO. And it's it's a five to 10 minute meeting at most. And then you start trickling down throughout the rest of the organization. So then a CRO would have huddles with their either their teams or their leaders, depending on the size of the organization, 
where it's a very finite agenda, two to three items at most, round robin. And then you start giving takeaways to say, hey, David, that's a great context. I'm going to take that as a note. Let me get back with you and we'll schedule some time to debrief. So it becomes this like way for everybody to kind of talk, start to bring up some issues and then go produce a follow-up plan to then go solve and address those issues. And then you then you can say, hey, we're going to do another meeting talking about customer adoption and who's going to be involved. So it starts with this whole communication of how you involve other departments, how you involve a meeting agenda that's precise to the point. And a lot of that is built in the, in the Rockefeller habits of huddles, more of like weekly or monthly reviews, quarterly meetings and action items and annual and how everything aligns. Everything that you're talking about in a daily huddle aligns to your annual plan. And as long, again, we kind of go back to this whole alignment thing, which I think is, is such an important word, but that's really the solve. And that, that starts to build a culture of inclusiveness. It starts to build this culture of getting everybody to feel like they have a place where you can talk about issues and then having a place where you can then talk longer about issues instead of using a meeting to go on a brainstorm session, which everybody just rolls their eyes about. Now you can kind of do takeaways and say, great observation. Let's, let's bring this up in the customer success huddle. Let's get the team's pulse on it and then see if we need to address it. So that's the type of communication that really helps solve these problems of alignment. And again, you kind of have a CRO or a CEO that embodies that. That's what's going to help bring that organization together so that everyone can be aligned to help grow so that you're growing sustainably, you're accelerating growth, and you're not you know, left with finger pointing. Not to say that it doesn't happen, but it significantly minimizes it when you have communication as open like that. Right. And, and it's almost like you're installing sort of an overall alignment operating system across the top of the whole thing. And then, and then the meeting pulse, you know, is, is reinforcing that each week. And is that the kind of stuff that you do? I'm on your website, the blue chip CRO, you've got the strategy sessions and the fractional advisory. So tell me about mm-hmm. that. Are, are you essentially coming in and saying, okay, let's do this. And, and it's like, I feel like if you're in the company and, and you're trying to do this, everyone's kind of going to look at you funny, you know, because what, why, <laughs> why are you trying to get into my silo, you know, but if you hire somebody from the outside to say this outside person is going to come and do it, then they might actually get on board. Yeah. And that's kind of the difference between each, each of those four different engagement offerings is based on kind of the size of the company, the expertise of the CEO, and how much involvement from me. So the first two are really focused on, hey, you and I, if, if David, you're the CEO, you're my client, you and I kind of have some regular conversations, and you're going to go own and execute the things that, that we're talking about. The second two are ones where I'm part of that execution. So the difference is, at a certain size company, And a good example is I just had a client like this that I just kind of put off a little bit and said, hey, you're a little too young in in revenue. I would like to see you invest your money in these other areas before you bring somebody like me on because I'm just going to be an expense that isn't going to generate revenue as quickly as you need it. And 
I'd rather you take that money and go hire an SDR or a salesperson or a marketing agency and start getting some revenue in because they just weren't, it wasn't a great use of their money. But the other part of it is for something, you know, 1500, 2500 bucks a month where you're kind of on this advisory perspective, it's a pretty low investment to be able to just get the brain power, get the expertise, and we start kind of planning what are some good takeaways for you as the CEO to go own and execute. And then we, I manage it just like a coaching session, just like I would manage a coaching session with a rep is come to the table with the different things you want to talk about. Let's start having a, a discussion. Let's start giving action items and takeaways, and then let's follow up next week or three days from now, whatever the case may be. So that's kind of the scope of how I market myself to CEOs and founders is you can use me as little or as much as you want. I can either own your organizations, own your revenue organizations until we've got alignment and then we go find a CRO or I get to the point where I can maybe own the marketing team, own the sales team until we find a leader. And that's the other part is it's it's tough to hire that first leader. You're sinking a lot of money into a resource that isn't directly producing revenue. It's an indirect. So this is this gives a good opportunity for these founders to be able to leverage some experience, build an organic revenue machine until they're at the point where they've generated some revenue to then go invest in a VP of sales that, you know, we start to see that their average tenures are lower and lower and they're not staying long at companies. So it's a huge investment. Or when you get to a point to hire a VP of customer success and, and things like that. So that's kind of the gamut of how I try to position my offerings is it can be as little or as much as you want. I can own the execution or I can help you manage the execution. And, you know, that ultimately starts to create some parity between what they need in the organization, marketing, sales, ops, or customer success. It's really interesting because for, you know, young companies, there's always the fractional CFO. That's usually like kind of the first fractional person because you obviously, (laughs) you're a tiny company, you don't need a full on CFO, but you got to have somebody to do your forecasting and stuff like that. We even have one of those at 10 bound. So, and then you've got your fractional CMO that's out there and, you know, but I, this is the first fractional CRO system. That's super interesting. So when you look at those thresholds, Ed, what's the revenue? Do you have like a certain thing? Like you've got to be making a million dollars in revenue to have the coaching 5 million, 10 million, like how's it work like that? Yeah. So I think that's at a very high level, I'll start with where it makes sense for for me to work with companies is if they're less than 10 million. At that point, if they're at 10 million or, or above, they've probably got some funding at some point. They probably have a decent leadership, maybe not team, but uh, philosophy where Potentially, I could I could help them, but it's it may be more of an anomaly if you're over 10 million. So less than 10 million is kind of where where I see myself. Then we could kind of go into like the buckets that you suggest. So if a company's not a million, I would never go in there saying, "Hey, use use these buckets where I'm executing," because it's just you're paying more than what you would to just hire a sales rep 
to just kind of grind it out. And realistically, there's a lot of onus in the founder and the CEO to be kind of the one learning the ropes with selling. And how do you prospect? And what's the right things to say to get a conversation open? How do you pass it to a demo? How do you architect a demo? How do you ask the right questions? And the more bought in and invested the CEO and the founders are, the better so that they can pass that baton. So when you're kind of less than a million dollars, you want your dollars to be invested on revenue generation. And instead of paying for me, it's better to try and pay for for a revenue generating position. So where I came up with these advisory type of services is for those companies that are under a million dollars, where, you know, 1500 bucks isn't going to, a month isn't going to break the bank. Now there's going to be a little bit of, you know, you got to kind of own a lot of this stuff. We're going to have conversations and you're going to go do it. Um, but at least, you know, it's something that's a small investment. And then we can get into a little bit more than that. Once you get up to about one to 5 million, kind of like what you said, now we're teetering on this point where maybe you've got a sales rep or two or three, and you're contemplating, when do I hire a VP? Or maybe you've got a marketing agency that you're using, and you may want to start hiring a marketing resource to either manage them or to start to fulfill some different activities that maybe they're not doing or that are higher priced. Or maybe you're getting to a point where my customer success team has really just been support people. And now I want to start being intentional with how do I craft better onboarding practices? How do I measure product adoption? How do I turn these customer success teams into kind of outbound account managers, outbound in terms of understanding customer behavior and who's using the product and who's not and identifying these red flags. These become a lot more proactive and a lot more expensive when you're trying to utilize time and resources. So when you're pushing that $5 million revenue level, you've usually got a few people doing each of these tasks, a few sales reps, some customer success reps, possibly a manager at a point where now there's a good value for me to help execute and help these leaders or these teams manage and run and get aligned so that the company can get all of this alignment done and then hire your your VP level, whether it's a sales, marketing, or customer success. Bring in your revenue ops team or your leader that's really going to help manage this operational process, technology and data. So a lot of this has to do with kind of those revenue levels where then it becomes more advantageous to invest in an execution type of pricing strategy that I have where I can help own it. I'm putting more time. I'm diving in a little bit deeper. I'm probably doing some coaching sessions with marketing teams, sales teams, customer success teams, ultimately trying to get the ship, every component of that ship going so that we can hire these, these captains and these, these department heads. Got it. And then, so when they're ready at the point I mean, what you're trying to get to is that you've got everything set up. Say they're really working with you, like at the execution level, you've got everything set up. And then now it's like, okay, just plug in the people, the top people that you can find, and they can take over this system that you've put in place. Yeah. Ideally, that's that's kind of where everything should go is this, it's this whole baton passing. And it's like, before we start hiring a VP, let's get the house in order a little bit. Before you start hiring a full-fledged CRO, let's get these houses in line so that an incumbent doesn't have to 
I don't want to say waste time, but that they, they don't have to spend full-time hours and full-time salary diving in and finding problems. If we've done our jobs right, the company is investing a much smaller percentage to help prevent those problems so that somebody coming in doesn't have to dissect. And that's ideally how you you paint that path. So, you know, I mentioned playbooks before. We're we're kind of using this term is bring up a playbook to say, how does marketing operate? What are the different realms and responsibilities that they're owning? What does sales do? What does customer success do? How do those transitions happen? How do you create parity in, in these KPIs and responsibilities? Once you've got some foundation of what that looks like, now you can bring on these leaders to go do it. They may want to change it. And I don't think there's ever a one-size-fits-all approach to organizational processes, but at least it gets the foundation built to say, we're going to use this SDR AE model. This is how it's defined of what their responsibilities are. This is how the handoffs happen. Maybe they change the comp plan. Maybe they change what CRM is being used. Maybe a revenue ops person comes in and wants to add some sales engagement technology. But ultimately, you're adding this technology or making these changes that are enabling the process as opposed to replacing the process altogether. Got it. Yep. So they can walk in and and the thing is up and running and organized and ready to go. Man, what a great opportunity. I mean, <laughs> my God, you sold me, Ed. So this is this is awesome. <laughs> I'd like to think on paper it makes a lot of sense. Let's let's see how it goes in practice. But yeah, but and also there's only there's only one Ed, right? So it's like I'm yeah, sure that exactly. there's dozens of people listening to this and they're like, well, God, you know, my, my organization is misaligned and, and our culture sucks. You know, it's a, it's finger pointing. I mean, and not to be overly negative, but I just see it all, all, all the time. And especially when it comes to sales development, you know, cause they just kind of get stuck in the corner and uh, here's, you know, a list of names and just start calling, you know, just and, go right. Yeah. Just go. And that's what... and, yeah. It's like, what are they supposed to do if, if they can't, you know, so. Yeah. And that's the whole silo effect. And and this is, I don't know if this was last year at your, or 2019 or 2018, but when you kind of talked about the chief sales development officer position, and that really got me thinking a little bit about the necessity that it is to understand these roles to the point of how they impact both the before and the after. So if you think about sales development, Ideally, sales development is wedged between marketing and sales. So you're going to get it from both angles. (laughs) You're going to get it from the front end and the back end. So how do you start to, again, kind of specialize or do role responsibility? And when it comes to this point of alignment and culture and he said, she said, bickering, it ultimately has to come down to what does the buyer want? And, you know, this is... Amy Vallis made a post about this about two or three weeks ago about enterprise sales and full cycle sales and the SDRA model is broken. I'm always kind of the one that responds with it and it depends. And, you know, there's no one size fits all, I don't believe. And I think there are right companies and products to employ an SDRA model and there are wrong ones. I couldn't tell you every right one or every wrong one, but it has to go down this path of really understanding how does your buyer buy? How do you attract buyers? Is your product known? Are you a commodity product where everybody knows you? Or are you a nobody that's entering in a new market? Those are some things that you really need to think about. So when you think about this whole sales development effort, 
what is marketing doing? Are they doing kind of more focused on brand recognition? Are they trying to go mass market appeal where sales development is kind of taking this down the path of, hey, we're going to start to look at certain personas or certain industries. And we don't have a hundred different people to do this. We have one or two. So I'm going to hedge my bet and say, I know that we're going to sell better to CFOs in companies that are less than 500 employees that are in an industry like healthcare. So there could be things like that where sales development starts to kind of pick a niche and get rich. And that's where they go. And they start to figure out the successes and marketing may be hitting other personas and other industries. And that's fine to kind of take that funnel, but you got to have sales development operating with, with a different angle because they don't have the luxury to sit and wait. You don't have the luxury of calling a hundred people every day across 10 industries and 10 personas and seeing what sticks. You just don't have that kind of time. Right. Exactly. So, well, this is great, Ed. And so, man, you're a treasure trove of information. So we got to get you back on the podcast again. I've got a whole page of notes here that I need to start following up on and head over to your website. And I think we need to sign up for the for the basic program. <laughs> How do people get in touch with you? What's the best way to move forward if they're trying to do this and they want to talk to you? Yeah, thank you. So I'm mentioned bluechipcro.com is the is the website. I'm all over LinkedIn, Blue Chip CRO, as well as just searching Ed Porter. One thing that I do ask is I'd love to connect with people. If you connect with me, at least let me know kind of how you heard about me. To if it's from this podcast, say, hey, heard you on Delaney's podcast, let's connect. And that helps me because I like to understand, like, I don't just openly connect with everybody. I don't have 50,000 connections. I've got like 1,100. And it's because I just want to know. I want to know a little bit more about what's interested you about me. So do a personal note. I'd like to get to know people a little bit more. I'm in a couple communities as well. Thursday Night Sales on Slack, Rev Genius on Slack. Columbus startup community, Columbus, Ohio is kind of a bigger, starting to become more of a name in the startup world. And it's something that I'm very passionate about. So definitely LinkedIn and, and would love to connect and chat any, all things revenue. Awesome. You are very active on all these platforms. So, hey, this is a great opportunity, but customize your LinkedIn invite folks. Don't just <laughs> switch and pitch or whatever it's called. Yeah. Yeah. There stuff. you go. Yeah. But Ed, thank you so much for coming on, man. You gave me a lot to work on. So thanks for coming on the Sales Development Podcast. Let's do it again real soon. All right. Absolutely. Thanks again, David. Appreciate it. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to the Sales Development Podcast, the only audio forum 100% focused and dedicated to sales development with your host, David Delaney. Please be sure to subscribe to the show on YouTube and take a moment to leave us a review on iTunes. Your support makes our show possible. If you are struggling with your sales development program, contact us at 10bound.com for a no-obligation exploratory call. Again, that's 10bound.com.